And so I'm very grateful for all of the things that we have been studying. And on a subject like this, you know, we could spend a whole week going through the subject of biblical principles on parenting. And I'm going to let you know right up front, I don't stand before you as somebody who has mastered this. My wife and I are privileged to have four gifts from God, two boys, two girls. So we have a perfect balance of hormones in our home. And, uh, you know, we have three women and three men in our house. And, um, you know, I can definitely teach a lot about what not to do. I can definitely show you a lot about the mistakes to avoid, because when I look at myself as a father, I unfortunately can see more of my challenges than my successes. But I know that I'm still in the master's hand. I know he's not through with me yet. And so I'm not downcast or anything of that nature. I'm just still on the onward, upward journey. And I want as many fathers in the room to join me in that. And uh, the same goes for the mothers. But I do believe that heaven has given principles as it relates to parenting that we're going to cover. And we're just going to cover enough that I believe by God's grace, it'll give us a good foundation. It'll give us a good foundation that we can build upon and then we can take it further and further in our personal studies. I'm looking forward to next year because next year, by God's grace, we'll be doing more as it relates to ministering to the families within, but also the families in our communities, because the struggles are real both in and out of the church and people need a lot of help. I am reminded that as a result of things that has happened with COVID, uh, especially the lockdowns, we, we have found that child molestation, domestic abuse has gone up at very alarming numbers. And um, the world, like never before, needs ministry. They need the gospel because the gospel is a wonderful simplifier of life's problems. And so the more that we as God's people can take the gospel within our hearts, we can bring that into our communities. We can mix that in our evangelistic efforts and we can really help in the most practical way to help a people be prepared to meet their God. And so as we get ready to go through this very serious and solemn subject, I'm going to kneel for a word of prayer. I'd like to invite you as much as you are able to, to kneel with me. And if you can't kneel, just bow your heads reverently where you are. But let us pray together as we prepare to hear the word. Our Father in heaven, we are very, very grateful. We thank you so much that you are blessing us and helping us to really see how much you want us to be prepared to meet you because Jesus is coming soon. And you just want to make sure that we're counted on the side that says, lo, this is our God. We have waited for him and he will save us. And so, Lord, we have been studying week after week and throughout the week. We've been looking at your plan to restore the broken families, because many of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we are broken. We are in desperate need of help. But we're grateful that we can look unto the hills from whence comes our help, knowing our help comes from the Lord. And so we are not discouraged. We are encouraged. We know that you are with us because we are inviting you, not merely in this building, but in our hearts. Please speak to us now and make your words plain to us, Lord. Give us what we need, especially as mothers and fathers that will help our homes get on better ground. Is our prayer we ask in the worthy and mighty name of Jesus. Let everyone say amen. Amen. You know, let's go to the book of Malachi chapter 4. You know, I remember one time as I, as I become more and more acquainted with the love of God, 
with the mercy of God, with the grace of God. The more that I become acquainted with that, I find myself, you know, talking about it more, you know, speaking about it more. And I love doing it, quite honestly. And uh, I have some friends who are pretty hardcore. You know, they, they're some pretty serious, tough guys in the word of God. Um, I call them spiritual gangsters. You know, they're, they're, they're present truth gangsters. They, they're, they're tough guys. They take the Bible like a shotgun and they, they blow you away with it. And what happens is a lot of times, you know, we can become so rough with the word that we lose our ability to demonstrate redemption. Even our language, our, our speech is not redemptive anymore. And uh, the more that I study the word of God, you know, he's opening my eyes. It's, it's never been clearer to me what God wants so that we can actually go home with Jesus. It's never been clearer to me. I'm not confused on what God wants as it relates to the finishing of his work. But to accomplish it is terribly difficult because it requires a degree of surrender that very few people have. And one of the hardest places to demonstrate biblical surrender is in the home. Because in the home, we often feel this is the place where we can unzip the, the, the actor and actress of who we are and we can now be ourselves, right? When we're at home, we're our most comfortable selves. Sometimes we enjoy talking about other people. We critique others. We gossip. We do a lot of things we dare not do in the house of God, not realizing our homes are houses of God. And so what God is trying to do is awaken us to the reality that who you and I are at home is the real us. And that's where God needs to meet us most. Because if we can learn to be Christians in the home, I guarantee you, you can be a Christian anywhere else. And so Jesus is not, you know, blind to the realities of what we as God's people really need. And so as I'm going through these studies week after week, believe it or not, we've been studying end time prophecy. And a lot of times people say, really? I mean, you've been talking about forgiveness. You've been talking about having personal walks with God before getting married. You're talking about biblical principles. of Where, Where's present truth in that? Where's all the end time work in that? And I got it right here. It's in Malachi 4. You see, Jesus made a prophecy in verses 5 and 6. And Jesus spelled it out very beautifully. His spirit spoke to Malachi and said these words in verses 5 and 6. Behold, I will send you who? I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the hearts of who? The fathers to who? The children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. In other words, the last day work is going to be people that are not Elijah in person. When you read Luke chapter 1, and verse 17, it shows that John the Baptist, who was the first application of this prophecy, it says that John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah. And so God's going to have a people right before the Lord's second coming, before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. God is going to have the spirit of Elijah and the power that was given to Elijah to work in the hearts of his people. But what is it going to be doing? It's going to reunite hearts together that have been broken. It's going to take those families that have been separated. It's going to, and listen, you don't have to be out of the home to be separated. You can be inside your home and be almost, as it were, just as divorced as an individual that's outside of the home. Nowadays, you got husbands and wives that pass each other like ships through a night. They don't talk. They don't reason. They don't spend quality time together. Parents and children, often the new posture of the day is this. 
And it's amazing. It's shocking, brothers and sisters. And listen, I'm not going to act like I'm not void from this issue. There are times that I've been shocked at how my family and I can be in a room. We're all together and the room is very quiet because everybody's head is in this position. And I'm not trying to make it sound like this is criminal. I'm not here to say that. There's a relevance to looking at your phone at times, okay? Sometimes we get text messages or otherwise. But when you notice it's going on frequently, and it's happening day after day and week after week and month after month and year after year, that's when God is trying to say, hey, there's a problem. There's something wrong. Because families, we act like we have all the time in the world. Brothers and sisters, listen. I'm, you know, when I joined this church 29 years ago, I was a dancer in the hip-hop and R&B culture. I was an entertainer and I was a performer in the entertainment industry. And I remember that I had a partner. And my partner's name was Damien. Our stage name, I was Dez and he was Dagger. And you know, we would go ahead and we, we performed for hip-hop artists. We performed for R&B artists. And I remember that when I heard this message, the first guy that I went to was Damien. And I began to share Jesus with him. And as he heard the present truth, he said, man, I'm in. And then he got baptized. Me and him started to light the streets of New York up like Elijah and Elisha. We would go into subways, houses, everywhere, telling everybody about this truth that we found out. We went to all of our friends. I even went to certain R&B and hip hop artists that I danced with and gave them Bible readings for the home and steps to Christ and all these other books. Damien and I were on fire. Over a period of time, D, you know, he um, he made some decisions in his life where, you know, he found himself getting a little disconnected from the Lord, not as attentive as times were in the past. And life just kind of moved on. And I know that right now my boy is on fire again. Now I'm watching him and I mean, he is a burning flame. And, I, and, and it's like I, I smile just imagining what God is about to do through him. And I am finding that I'm talking to him multiple times throughout the week and everything else. And the question is, what brought this fire back inside of Damien? And sadly, my brothers and sisters, it was the very, very sudden loss of his 19-year-old beloved son. It was very sudden. I mean, in the morning, he was bidding him farewell as he's flying to Colombia. And then he lands in Colombia and gets a phone call from his other son saying that his son, Onaje, is non-responsive. And he has to plead with the paramedics over the phone, please do not stop trying to revive my son. And to hear a paramedic tell you over the phone, I'm sorry, there's nothing more we can do. Damien's heart is once again resurrected, as it were. That spiritual fervor is there. And I want to be there for my brother because, you know, I've always been there. It's like every time I would call him, he was Elijah, I was Elisha. And every time we would hang out, I would say, Elijah, I'm waiting for you, man. When you coming back? Yeah, I'm coming back soon, D. You're coming back soon. All right, brother, I'm here. And I tell you, Elijah is back. And it's beautiful. You know why? Because one of the first things that my beloved brother saw is he saw the great need to start working the first souls outside of himself. The first souls he wants to work with are his children. This is the Elijah message. This is what God does. Once God takes possession of a man's heart, the first thing that God does is he says, set your house in order. It's not about going into the community. I guarantee you, Orange Vale is going to get hit with something like it's never been hit before as we become the new open door. 
as we now are a church that is established, we have the leadership in place, we have all these things, I believe that Sacramento's about to get hit with something that's going to be so hard that we're going to repeat the words in the Gospels or in the Bible where it tells us the whole world was turned upside down with the Gospel. But first things first, the first area that God wants to target is our homes and our relationship to our children. And so this becomes the message. And so as we see that Elijah is going to come before that great and dreadful day of the Lord, God wants us to understand the first place that this spirit and power of Elijah must work is in our homes because our homes are broken. Our homes are challenged. And there's no need in faking it, brothers and sisters. You know, I mean, like I said, you know, I know about I know all about the happy Sabbath face. I know all about the, hey, how you doing? And we say a lot of things, but we got deeper things going on inside. And God wants to get us past all of that to a very real, genuine, happy Sabbath, where we're really happy and we're joyful because of what we see God doing in our homes. Now, parents play a tremendous role. And I got to tell you this, and again, this might be solemn, but don't lose hope with what I'm about to say. It is not 100%, but it's just about 95% true. It's not 100%, but it's just about 95% true. Children are a reflection of the degree of Christ in the home. Children are a reflection of the degree or how much Christ is truly in the home. And this, I know, can prick a lot of parents' hearts. Because often when we see our children, we can see them not running after Jesus. We can see them going after the world. We can see the world's imprint on the way that they dress themselves and present themselves and talk and think and reason and act and make decisions. And brothers and sisters, a lot of times it is because it is nothing but a reflection of the degree of spirituality of what's really happening in the home. And this is why God puts so much weight on parents. You see, the Bible lets us know a, a trend. If you notice a trend, Rehoboam, who, who was Rehoboam's father? That was Solomon. Very good. Now watch this. When you think about this, Rehoboam, Solomon's dad. Now Solomon did not have... For a great portion of his life, he did not have a very stellar record of faithfulness. Unfortunately, you know, he started to make some pretty vicious mistakes. Started serving other gods, practicing all sorts of harlotry and everything else. And what happens is, yes, we can have the courage of knowing that the conclusion of Solomon's life is he's a converted man. Praise God. But there was some impact that hit his children. And here's what the Bible says about it. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles 12 and verse 1, it says, And it came to pass when Rehoboam had established the kingdom and had strengthened himself, he did what? He forsook the law of the Lord. And because he was a leader, what ended up happening? All Israel joined with him in forsaking the law of the Lord. You see, as a father, I have to constantly remind myself, what I do today will more than likely be reflected in my sons. What I do today will more than likely be reflected in my daughters. And therefore, I must be ever so careful of the example that I set before my children. Because even if I come out of it okay, they may not. 
And this is a perfect example of that lesson. Again, again how many of you know about Amon? Anybody know who Amon's dad was? Manasseh. Y'all know about Manasseh in the Bible? Oh my, here's what the Bible says. 2 Chronicles 33, 21 and 22. Amon was two and 20 years old when he began to reign and reigned two years in Jerusalem. But he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. What does it say next? As did Manasseh, his father. For Amon sacrificed unto all the carved images which Manasseh, his father, had made and served them. Once again, we are seeing the impact of father. You know, I remember I used to work at a job and they used to say things like, depending on where you want to be with your finances, take a look at your boss. Because one thing is for sure, you're never going to make more money than them. And I remember thinking about that, and I was like, man, that's deep. <laughs> you know, I remember I was making $17,500 a year, and I'm working at a very passive industry, uh, working as a counselor for people who were mentally disabled and duly diagnosed. And my wife comes along, and my wife is a very disobedient woman. I got to tell you, because I told her, I said, honey, we, we married now. And I was like, girl, it's just me and you. Two years, no children, just me and you. And my wife was disobedient because after two months, she came to me and said, honey, I'm pregnant. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, why can't you listen? Didn't I say two years? But now here it is. She's pregnant now. And so now I'm thinking to myself, man, I'm going to be a dad. And I don't know if I could father a children with $17,500 a year. And so here it is that I remember hearing that message about take a look at your boss because whatever your boss is making, you're not going to make more than them. So I remember going to Robin. That was the name of my manager. I said, Robin, uh, can I ask a personal question? Sure. Uh, how much do you make a year? And she said, oh, well, I make $42,500 a year. And that's with two master degrees. And I was like, what? And, you know, it's just made my eyes pop out. And at that point, I realized I got to do something completely different. Otherwise, this is my future, because at that time, I didn't even have I had a GED. So I knew that I had a hard future ahead of me if I stayed in that industry. In other words, that environment, that work environment created an atmosphere that whatever was going on in that work environment, if everybody follows in the same pattern, they're going to end up getting the same results and nothing better. In like manner, when a child grows up in a home, they accept it be by divine inspiration. They are not going to supersede the spirituality of their fathers and their mothers. So if the father doesn't pray, guess what? Your children are not going to pray. If the father's not studying his word, guess what? Your children are not going to study the word. If the father is a hard taskmaster, guess what your children will be towards others, even their siblings? Hard taskmasters. Children are like recorders. They're downloading whatever they are seeing from father and mother. And they are not downloading on dial-up. They're not downloading on DSL. They are not downloading even on coax cable network. They are downloading on fiberglass level speed. I mean, they are downloading very fast. And they just look sometimes. Mother and father says, don't eat late. But then they see us eating late. The children are like, got it. Right? We tell the children laws of health are important. Then they see us disregarding the laws of health all the time. The children say, got it. 
We say we must be lovable to people, but then they see us being so unloving to people that just slightly gets on our nerves. And the children say, got it. And this is a lesson, and accept it be again. Now, like I said, divine intervention can take place. God, in spite of a bad environment, can still reach a child. And that's good news. But his biblical blueprint, his great desire is that you and I would be better examples before our children. And what we're seeing here is the result of what can happen. In fact, you'll remember Hophni and Phinehas. Who's their dad? Eli. You remember that, right? What does the Bible say about Eli? The Bible says in 1 Samuel 2 and verse 12, now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. The word Belial means destruction. They were like sons of destruction, right? It says, now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. They knew not the Lord. Now keep in mind, Eli was a priest. It's a bit challenging when children grow up in the home of a priest and know not the Lord. That's a challenge, brothers and sisters. And I have to take this again as a minister of the gospel. I have to really take serious stock into this. And so it is that it says not only that these guys were so bad that they made the average saint in the house of Israel. They made them hate worship. Literally, people hated worship now because these brothers were so greedy because they were functioning in a priest's office. Their dad was a priest, so they're going to be a priest. They were functioning in the priest's office. So now it was like they knew priests don't have an inheritance. The only thing the priests get is what the people bring to the sanctuary. So do you know in the book of Hosea, Hosea this comes out as well. Do you know priests became so corrupt in the Bible that they looked forward to people sinning so they could actually get the inheritance of the offerings that they would bring? Can you imagine that depth of corruption that's happening in the minds of God's ministers? But this is exactly what was happening. And so guess what happened? Because they were sons of Belial and they knew not the Lord, they got so bad that here's what the Bible says next. In verse 17, it says, wherefore the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. They got to a place they hated coming to worship because of the example of Hophni and Phinehas, which they learned because of an indulgent father by the name of Eli. And so God knows that we are in truly a broken situation. Parents, I am just here to say very solemnly, and like I said, not 100%. God was the perfect father, and he still had a rebellious child. Not 100%, but about 95%. Our children are a picture of the degree of religion we have allowed to take place in our own homes. But do you know one thing I love about God? God has no problem saying, let's start it all over again. God has no problem saying, yes, we messed up. And yes, there's been errors, but God says, you know what? I can fix this. Because what is our whole series? Our whole series is about God's plan to restore the broken home. And the reason why I'm being so straight with many of us right now in the beginning is because I want us to be stripped of our excuses. Too often we make excuses and we don't understand that excuses disables us from healing. We can't be healed if we're too busy still justifying ourselves, because as long as I justify myself, I testify I don't need God's justification. And that's a problem. 
What God wants is he wants us to come clean and just like the, 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 the publican that came before Jesus, have mercy upon me, Lord, a sinner. I got nothing I can say about myself. There's nothing I can recommend myself to you for. All I can do is ask you, have mercy on me. And guess what? Jesus says that man left justified. And so it shall be with every man and every woman in this room. And as parents, we must be willing to be honest. Lord, I don't believe that I have reflected Christ as the husband, Christ as the mother in my home as I should have to my children. And if we see certain things in the character qualities of our children that we don't like and we know it's not in harmony with God's word, God says, don't despair. God says there's still hope. But the first thing he wants from all of us, like Jeremiah chapter three, only acknowledge thine iniquity. If you know family, if you know parents, we have been neglectful. Maybe we've been a bit self-centered. Maybe there's just been some issues going on that we've allowed to consume our minds so much that we have neglected what God has called us to do. Because I'm telling you right now, we could win all the people in the world. When we stand before God in that judgment bar, God is going to ask the question, where is the flock that I have given you? That is the question God is going to ask. I can baptize all of Sacramento. God will say, that's very good for them. But my question to you, Dwayne, where's Jared? Where's Kayla? Where's Caleb? Where's Jada? And guess what else he's going to ask? And where's your lovely bride from your side, Alexandra? Because I made you chief steward in your home. And so God has put a lot of weight on us as brothers. That's why I'm especially pressing the brothers in the room. God has put a lot of weight on us. As I've said many a times, it is a solemn thing to be a father and to be a husband. It is solemn because the responsibility that rests on us it should drive us to go to our knees. I meet all these young men so hot and bothered. They always want to date some girl and get with all these guys. I don't know what's going on here in Northern California. It's, it's like every single time I meet with these young men and I'm talking about all of these 18, 25, 30 girls, 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 dating, girls, girls, girls. What do you think? Girls, 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 dating. And I'm just like, man. And in my mind, I'm saying, if you only knew what it really means to be a husband, you slow down. If you really knew what it means to be a father, because what's one thing everybody's going to do when they get married? You know what they're going to do when they get married. They're going to do the thing that produces children. And so when they do that, it's like, you, you under, do you really understand what it means to be a father? Do you understand that you're going to have to bring up children in 2022 and beyond where the world is most wicked? That there's a new beast power on the scene called social media and he's defeating most homes right now? You sure you want to bring up your kid, bring kids into this world? It's like it's a rough time. It's very solemn to be a father. It's very solemn to be a husband. You got to plead with God to give you some hormonal balance so that you're not going crazy and trying to date every new girl that comes around with long hair. Or whatever it is that gets you all hot and bothered. You got to slow it down. It's a solemn thing to bring children up in this world. And God knows my wife and I are seeing this thing and going through it. And so God is trying to say, listen, if you're going to bring up a family, bring them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And remember this. Remember, even if we've erred, even if we've made mistakes, man, God is abundant in mercy. God loves to forgive. And God loves to give us another start. And if we're going to get another start with God, I recommend let's start it right. Let's do it right. Let's remove the word failure from our vocabulary. 
Let us go forward and literally just have an attitude of no success and success only by the grace of God is what will take place. And if I fall down on that journey, I'm going to get back up and keep my eyes fixed on making sure that we have the success that has already been promised us in our Lord Jesus Christ. Understanding this, understanding this, understanding this. Principle number one. When we want to get our homes right, family, I cannot stress the importance of leading by example. Everything we want for our children, we must be. Please listen carefully to that. Everything we want for our children, we must be. We love the idea of children who love church. That means you must love church. We love the idea of children who pray all the time. That means we must pray all the time. We love the idea of children who study, 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 and put God first. God says, then you must study, 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 and put God first. What you want from your children, you must be. And when we lead our families, we must lead by example not by precept. We're not going to go around telling our children to be and do a bunch of things that we refuse to be and do ourselves. And for many of our homes, this is one of our greatest mistakes. We want them to be on fire while we're lukewarm. And God says, no, that is backwards. That's out of gospel order. The first thing on the plate that God says we must lead by example. Notice what the Bible says. In Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7, watch the text. It says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be where? In thine heart. Then it says, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. So notice that the first thing God says is these words must be in our heart. It is after these words are in our heart, having its sanctifying effect, now, God says, teach it to your children. So God does not want us to impart things to our children that we are not first having in our hearts. Are you following that, Sam family? I know parents who used to drop their children off the church. And I would think to myself, well, like I said, God can intervene in bad situations. But the ideal with God is, no, parent, you're supposed to be at church. If you don't want your children falling asleep in the sermon, you don't fall asleep in the sermon. You want your children to take notes, you make sure you're taking notes unless you got a super brain. If you have a super brain where you can say, oh, yeah, he said this, 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 this. Great. But if you want your child to take notes and get everything down, you take notes and get everything down. And then after church service, you can go somewhere in nature and talk about it. But this is what God wants. He says, I want you to lead by example. This is the way that God is going to start turning things around for all of us, family. And that's why I really enjoy when I used to watch my children have sibling rivalry and I would watch them have sibling rivalry and they'd have, they'd have these problems with each other. I would ask myself, where did that come from? You know, you're like, where did that come from? Where did that come from? And then sometimes God will help me to see, son, remember, you have a hothead. And they're picking that up from you. There's a little book called Adventist Home. It is right there on page 16. And it says, to a large extent, parents create the atmosphere of the home. 
And when there and when there is difference, watch these words, when there is difference between father and mother, the children partake of the same spirit. Do you know what do you know what that means? That's why parents it's a dangerous thing when you come to me about your children. I'm going to just let you know in advance. And I get parents that come to me about their children all the time because you know what happens when a parent comes to me? My children don't listen. My children are constantly rebelling. My children, my children, my children. What I often say to those parents, I'll say, well, since you let me in your business, I might as well dig in. How's your relationship with your wife? How's your relationship with your husband? Hey, brother, uh, I didn't come here to talk about my marriage. I came here to talk about my children. I said, exactly. I'm talking about your children, too. Because you got to understand when husband and wife are arguing and fighting each other, it's like the devil was knocking at the door. And when they're fighting each other, it's like they're letting the devil in. And the devil looks at the husband and wife says, well, since I got you two already, I might as well go for your weak ones. And then he goes after the little children and he takes advantage of them. And so one of the greatest ways to get the devil out of our homes is to get the devil out of our marriages. Are you following that? It's first to settle things between husband and wife so we can close the door and no longer let the demons in. And this is what God is trying to say. That's why he says, lead by example. Whatever it is you want from your children, you must be, and I must be. This makes it a thousand times easier for them to be on fire because they see that you and I are on fire. Now, the reality is, is that sometimes our children haven't seen this, right? But some of us are, make, some of us are experiencing revival. Some of us are experiencing some powerful revival, and, and the Lord's doing some great things in our heart, and I can't praise God enough for this. Family, listen, to have God in your heart, look at what it says right there. When it says, which I command, these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, right? The Spirit of God writes the law of God in our hearts. The Holy Spirit is the one that begins to let the truths of God's word settle in our minds. When this takes place and we have the spirit of God in our hearts, do you know, brothers and sisters, there are examples of what can happen when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Did you know the more that we have the spirit of God in our hearts, the more that we have the spirit of God in our hearts? Did you know demons can be cast out of our children? Some of our children are literally manipulated momentarily controlled or full-blown demon possessed. I have a whole study on that. We'll be doing that next year. We're going to deal with demonic affliction. Oh, I got many things set up for us, family. We're going to really study the word of God as we spend our time together. Right now, we have become so intellectualized and we love to give all these nice scientific names to certain problems, which is fine. They have their place. But sometimes people are literally going through flat out, straight up demonic possession and it needs to be called for what it is. And that's the reason why the psychiatrists and the psychotherapists and the psychologists, they can't solve the problem. So the best thing to do is they can give you some pills to pop and slow you down. But it does not stop the issue. My wife and I just last night watched an incredible program. It's called Victor. And when we were watching this, it's all it's a true story about a man growing up in the 1960s. And he got caught up in gangs and all these different things. And as he got caught up in the gangs, he started getting involved in drugs, both using and selling. He started to take so much heroin that he became thoroughly addicted and almost became non-functional, almost died several times. The, his, his parents sent him to doctors. They sent him to psychotherapists, psychologists, psychiatrists, and the rest. They, he took every drug medication in existence. 
that was in that day to help somebody overcome their addiction and none of it worked. None of it. And his mother and father saw him laid out on the ground, almost dead. It's a wonderful program to watch. It's called Victor. It's a Christian story, story about Christians. And it turns out that the parents said, son, we have nothing else to give you. Only one more shot. And you know what they, you know where they took their son? To a church. They took him to a minister. And when that boy was going through all of his withdrawals and everything, you know what the people did? They got on their knees and they laid their hands on that boy. And they would pray. And they would keep praying and keep praying. And it worked for a period of time, but it got to a point where Victor was so struggling with this thing that they told him, one, young, one of the guys who was in the rehab, one of the guys said to him, they said, Victor, you need to surrender. You're not surrendering, man. You're fighting God. You're not surrendering. So you know what Victor did? Victor finally fell on his knees before the Lord. Lord, I surrender everything to you. See, intellectuals have a problem with this. Some of our minds got so messed up through education that we can't appreciate simple spiritual truths. We feel like everything has to have a label and a, and a prescription for it. No, there's a lot of things that there's no label and there's no prescription for it. It's called what the Bible calls it. It's demon possession. And there is no drug and there's no therapist that can solve it. They need ministers anointed with the Holy Spirit. And that man is a living witness because guess what? The conclusion of his story, that brother got free. He got completely free. Where everything else in the world failed, he got free. And today, he is responsible for helping hundreds of thousands of addicts. The man became a counselor and he became a pastor. And he started this ministry in Boston and now his ministry is in Virginia. And he helps hundreds of thousands of addicts. Parents, I'm telling you, don't become so smart that even the spirit of God becomes dumb to you. Sometimes we got to humble ourselves and realize we don't know it all. We're not thoroughly educated as we think. And we need to sit under the great physician and let him teach us. And he's saying to us, I can heal your home. He's saying I can save your children and I could deliver them from that demon that is messing with their head. But it's going to take surrender. And it's going to be letting God in the heart and examples of what can happen when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Literally, we can get demons out of our children. We can say like Jesus, come out of him and enter no more into him. And that demon will have no choice but to obey. And to him that believes, all things are possible to him that believes. Not only that, we can cause aggressive behavior to cease. The Bible teaches all of these things. Not only that, we can quiet the influence of Satan when he's momentarily controlling the mind of our children. Finally, we can identify their true condition and speak to their future. Sometimes we speak so much to a child's reality, we don't speak to their future. Why is it you don't listen? Why are you so hard-headed? Why are you so challenged? Why are you, why are you, why are you? We speak so much to their present, but we must learn to speak to their future. That's what Jesus did with Peter. Peter, you know, I see your condition, son, and Satan desires to sift you as wheat, but I want you to know I'm praying for you. And when you are converted, do you, I don't know if you understand I get it. I'm just letting you know I get it. Do you know what got me through my mental health crisis more than anything else? When I had a mental meltdown, you know what got me through more than anything else? 
I was glad for the herbs. I was glad for the hydrotherapy. I was glad for a lot of different things. But there was one thing that Thomas Jackson kept doing. And when he said it, it was like spiritually, it was like I grabbed it and held on to it with all of my life. He kept saying, Dwayne, when you are healed, you're going to help a lot of people. Just to hear when I'm healed? You mean I'm going to get victory over this one day? It felt like it was forever. It felt like there was no hope. It felt like I'm never going to get my life back. And when that man would just simply say, when you're healed, watch what God will do through you. You know, and I held on to those words like it was dear life. I held on to it. So can you imagine Jesus going to Peter? Peter's going through all this drama. Peter's still filled with pride. Peter's still dancing with devils and everything. Peter had a lot of issues. But when Jesus says, Satan desires to sift for you as wheat, but he says, but I prayed for you. And then he says, and when you're converted, strengthen the brethren. You have no idea how much hope was in that little statement that Jesus said, when you're converted. I promise you, there is a demon telling all of us, we're losers. We're not going to make it. We're ugly. We're not like other people and the rest. There's always a demon trying to put us down. That's why some of us are so busy justifying ourselves all the time. It's like we're so tired of hearing the voice tell you you're nothing. You're ugly. You can't do anything right. And da, 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 da. So then, you know, we, we feel this need to, you know, push ourselves up. What God is trying to say is he says, listen, you don't need to do all of that. He says, you hold on to my promises and look at what I'm telling you. God says, I'm telling you. When you are converted, strengthen the brethren, help others, build others up. And so it is that this is what we can do for our children. Identify their true condition, speak to their future. Now, principle number two, if you know, like I knew, I have not been the ideal father. If you know, like I knew, I have not been the ideal husband. God says, apologize. Don't just try to move on. Apologize. Grab that son, grab that daughter, look them in the eyes and let them know mommy and daddy have not been which, what, what God has called us to be to you. We thought we were doing right. We got distracted. We, got, we lost our focus. And we're asking you to please forgive us. There's a lot of power in doing that. Sometimes parents need to apologize to their children. The Bible says it like this in Matthew 5. It says, therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar. Go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. God is very clear. If I realize that I have offended my son, if I realize I have offended my daughters by not being the dad that God called me to be, it is not for me to just say, okay, from this day forward, I'm going to be. That's a good determination, but you got to start first by going to them and acknowledging where we've erred. Son, daughter, I realize that I have failed you. I realize that I have not done right. I realize that there's a kind of dad that I should have been that I wasn't. I remember I taught this to uh, my church in Georgia many, many years ago. And I remember that a 50, 60-year-old man came to me. He said, Dwayne, my son is an adult. <laughs> you know, how can I how can I go to him and, and make it all right now? And I said, well, the first thing you need to do is I said, do you see where you've erred? Yes. I said, well, then go to him and apologize for it. Just like that. His son is in his 40s. 
He said, my son's in his 40s. He's married. He's moved on. I said, no, that doesn't matter. I said, he might still be carrying that pain. I don't know what it is about pain, but it knows how to pack bags and travel for decades. <laughs> it just packs bags and travels with us, doesn't it? We can carry pain for a long time. And so I said, I guarantee you, your son might, he's still at 42 years old. He might still appreciate hearing from dad. Son, I wasn't there for you as I should have been. Can you forgive me for that? He said, then what do I do after that? And I said, principle number three. Principle number three is very important. Because after we acknowledge, after we apologize, after we go ahead and seek to make amends for all that went wrong, what is principle number three? Principle number three, put in action the rescue plan. Somebody says, rescue plan, what are you talking about? You see, in Ephesians 5 and verse 16, when the Bible says, redeeming the time because the days are evil, when the Bible says that, you know you can't rewind time, right? We can't rewind time. But what can we do? We can redeem time. But what does that mean? The word redeem is to rescue from loss, improve your opportunities. That's what the word redeem actually means. In other words, don't lose anymore. Don't waste away anymore. Don't repeat the same habits anymore. Improve the opportunity from this day forward. That is literally what redeem means. And so what we do is we realize, okay, well, I must be an example. Whatever I want for my children, I must be myself. That's heart examination and surrender. As we comply with God, go back to those whom we have wounded by our actions or inactions. And you apologize and you recognize, hey, I haven't been the dad that I should have been. I haven't been the mother I shouldn't have been. And what's so beautiful is sometimes children are so sweet, so innocent, and I love it when they're young because they're very, very forgiving. Seriously, as children get older, they're not as forgiving because they've learned the lessons of hardness from us. But when children are young, you can go to a child and say, you know, daddy hasn't been such and such. Mommy hasn't been. You know, can you forgive me for that? Okay, daddy. Man, those are great days. That's what I'm telling you, parents, do it now. <laughs> do it now, do it now, do it now, do it now, do it now. Serious. While they're still young, children are very forgiving. As they grow older, their hearts start getting harder. You're going to have to fight a little bit more. Got to prove it a little bit more that you're sorry. But when they're young, oh man, it's so much easier. Nevertheless, after we apologize, God says, now go rescue that lost time. Going forward, don't let any more lost time. Improve your opportunities from this day forward. Be that mom and be that dad that I've called you to be. Redeem the time. That's what God tells us to do. Isn't that beautiful? Now, when we talk about this, how? How do we redeem the time? How do we, how do, we do that? So I'm going to give you in closing, I'm going to give you these four principles. Four principles in closing. Now, I won't go through all of them point by point and detail by detail. I won't go through all of them, uh, but just take the pictures, take the notes or whatever to get all the verses. All right. Here we go. Four principles restoring the home with our children. If we put these four principles into practice, I believe by the grace of God, God will help not only us, he'll help our families redeem the time. He will help us to reunite and come back together in the path and pattern that he desires us. So I want you to watch this. Four very important principles. Principle number one. When we study the Bible, the first thing I'm going to recommend to parents 
and children is find opportunities and find ways, be intentional to see how you can work together. I want you to start doing that. Find ways, find opportunities on how you can work together with your family. I want you to notice what the Bible says. Watch this. Mark 6 and verse 3. Look at the text carefully. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and of Judah and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were often offended at him. Question in the verse, who's the carpenter? Jesus. Jesus is the carpenter in the verse, right? The carpenter, the son of Mary. But watch this. I thought this was very powerful. It was it was like inferenced all along, but you just had to catch it as a faithful student here in Mark six. Jesus is the carpenter. But then watch this verse. This is Matthew 13. It says, is not this the what? Carpenter's son. So who's the carpenter in this verse? Joseph, Jesus's father. So what does that imply? That the father was working with his son and teaching him a trade. Are you following that? So what is it that was common in Jewish culture? They would go ahead and make time, not merely to teach a trade, but they did more than teach a trade. It was an opportunity to associate together. Find time to work together with your family. I don't care if it's a project in your backyard. If you've got to build a house or build a garage or build a deck, whatever it may be, Find opportunities to work with your children. It allows you to take the gospel lessons you've been teaching them and put it into practice because their brains are functioning, functioning differently now. Because it's one thing when you tell your son to clean up your room. It's another thing when you tell your son to go ahead and let's go work on this project and building a deck or building a barn or building something else. You're working together. Find ways to work together to associate under a different dynamic. If you run a business, if you run some type of industry where you can get your children involved, that's the most beautiful thing you could do. That's a beautiful thing you could do. If you got things you have to do at home where you can maybe take some stuff from work, bring it home. You got to fill some papers out or whatever. If your son's good at writing or your daughter's good at writing. Hey, can you help mom and dad fill this out? What I need you to do is everywhere where you see this, just do that. Whatever way you can work together, try to start working together. Principle number one. Principle number two study together study together don't just make them do their studies study together this is the reason i put this picture up here because what you see is a grandmother and then you see a daughter and then you see their son i put that picture there on purpose because notice what the bible says in second timothy three fifteen. notice what it says and that from a child Thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So Paul is talking to Timothy and he's encouraging Timothy, saying from a child, you've known the holy scriptures. Now, here's the question. How did Timothy know the holy scriptures? Take a look. The Bible says in Second Timothy one five, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois. And thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. So notice, how is it that Timothy, from a child, knew the Holy Scriptures? Grandmother Lois, mother Eunice, 
Together we're working to teach baby Timothy. Families studying together. Set times, my brothers and sisters, for study. Study is different from worship. Family worship is a different dynamic. But when you're doing study together, that can take more time. It has a different way that it works on your mind. I never mix my study time with my worship time. And I don't recommend you do it either. The worship time, that's my, that's my intimacy, me and God. That's where I fall deeper and more madly in love with him. That is a very intimate moment just between me and him. My study time is when I'm really getting into these words, not only that I may understand God's words, but that I may know how to make it more plain to those who know it not. It sets my mind as a teacher in a different frame. And so your study time with each other, you have lots of things to study about. Young people are interested in social media. Study about it. See what the word of God says. Young people are into music. How do you know right from wrong? Please don't use your feelings to guide you. The heart's deceitful above all things. You don't say, play the music. You find yourself dancing. Okay, that's good music. And then you play another music and you find yourself like this. Nah, that's bad music. You don't judge music, good or bad, by how it makes you feel. You want to know what does God feel about it because God has an, uh, an opinion on it. So there's lots of things that young people want to involve themselves in. Young people want to get involved in all sorts of recreations. Dad, can we do this? Dad, can we do that? Can we go here? Can we go there? That's an opportunity, mother and fathers, to say, okay, let's study what does the Bible talk about as far as healthy recreation versus unhealthy recreation. Study it. And you know why you should study it? Because those are the opportunities that you can give your young people uh, an ability to stand when you're not present. I believe, I believe what all of my young people and I did in that room where we went through Colossians 2. Colossians 2 is often a text used to say that the Sabbath is done away with. What we did inside of that room, we literally said, okay, law of Moses, law of God. And all we did, who wrote? Moses wrote. Who wrote? God wrote. What did Moses use? His hand. What did God use? His finger. What did Moses write in? A book. What did God write on? Tables of stone. And we just literally went point by point by point by point by point. When we were done, I said, question, are these two the same? All those precious young people, they said, oh, no, they're not the same at all. And the youngest person in the room was the first person to respond. He said, oh, no, they're not the same at all. I was like, exactly. And they start, I said, get your phones out. I know you got it. Get your phones out. Take a picture. Look at this. And the next time somebody brings Colossians 2 to you, I said, you guys are going to be able to crush that argument now. That's study time. You follow that? Going through it verse by verse by verse. Study it. So God says, that's what I want you to do also. Next, family worship. Family worship. Now, with family worship, you have to remember this, right? The Bible talks about, especially Abraham, being the, 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 the command, you know, commanding his household after the Lord and these things. And what I'm going to encourage is family worship. Now, when it comes to family worship, according to the Bible, how often should we have this? Well, let's take a look. In Joshua 1.8, what do we see? This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it when? Day and night. Now, let's go ahead and do it again. In Psalm 1, in verse 2, what does it say here? But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate how often? Day and night. Now, when we go ahead and look at, oh my, <laughs> y'all didn't get the text up. Okay. Oh, there it is. In 2 Timothy 1, in verse 3, take a look. 
I thank God whom I serve or worship with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did as I constantly remember you in my prayers. How often? Night and day. So when they came together to have worship, as all the forefathers did, they would have air worship every evening and every morning. Are you following that? Every evening, every morning. Then what do we see here? Revelation 7 and verse 15. What does the Bible say here? Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve or worship him day and night in his temple, and he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. We should be having family worship every morning and every evening. The father should be leading out as priest of the home, but in his absence, mother takes up the refrain and she leads out. But every morning, every evening, have family worship. That's your intimate time with God. That is your opportunity to reflect. In the morning, you can have worship that sets the tone for the day. In the evening, you have worship to see how we did through the day. And we can all lay ourselves before, the, before God and sing songs and praise him. You could sing. You could let your children lead out. Family, that's an excellent thing to do. Let your children lead out. You could say, children, you have Monday. So-and-so, you have Tuesday. So-and-so, you have Wednesday. You're all going through a book, Steps to Christ or some other book. And you have family worship time every morning, every evening. Finally, finally, recreation. All the children should say amen. <laughs> recreation. All work and no play does make Jack a dull boy. We have to understand that there comes a point in time you got to learn how to pause from all your busyness. You got to pause from all the seriousness of life and you got to have some good recreation time with your children. Notice what it says here. When the Bible says, and ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Don't, don't provoke them to wrath, right? But bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That term, bring them up, is actually nourishing them. Nourishing, cherishing them. Cherishing your children. If there's one thing a child loves, is to play. Children love to play. And we can't become so serious with our children like, son, don't you know that time is almost finished? Don't you realize we got to finish the work? We don't have no time for play. You can't go to your children like that. That is so unrealistic. First of all, that is extreme. That, that's fanaticism. You know, like I told you before, I remember one time I'm going out with my daughters. My daughter, Jada, daddy, can we go outside and do some cartwheels? I was like, of course. So we go outside and do cartwheels and people looking at me funny like, you know, you do cartwheels? Dwayne Lemon does cartwheels? I'm like, what, do you think I sit in a cave all day and just write sermons? It's like, no, man, I'm as normal as anybody else. It's like, no, you go outside and you play with your kids. You enjoy your time with them. And play is not against the Bible because the Bible says this. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls doing what in the streets? Playing in the streets. God has no problem with playing in the streets. God has no problem with having a great time with our children. We should always set time. Nothing wrong with time. There's a time for every purpose under the heaven. But we should always set a time that we take off all of the teacher hats and, and all these other things and just put on some clothes and get dirty with our children. Just play with them because, once again, you can connect. You can teach lessons even in playing one with another. But it affords for a well-rounded family, my brothers and sisters. We're told in inspiration it was God's plan for the members of the family to be associated in work and study 
in worship and recreation. The father as priest of his household and both father and mother as teachers and companions of their children. This is God's plan. Remember, we talked about it. God's plan to restore the broken family. And God says to every family in this room, God says, I have plenty of healing for all of our broken homes. God says, I can take a home that is broken and get it where it needs to be. Because remember, the home is the heart of the community and the heart of the church. Is that right? Well, don't forget Luke 4 and verse 18, when Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to heal the brokenhearted. And that's another way of looking at that term in that verse. God wants to heal the broken homes. And I believe that if we put these principles of biblical parenting before our children, we can see homes that will be restored. We can see homes that will be more fashioned and molded in the order and pattern that God would have it to be. And this is the effect of the Elijah message. And as we receive it and we become one well-ordered, one well-disciplined family, it'll do more on behalf of the gospel and the truth than all the sermons that could ever be preached. It'll be the greatest witness in our communities because that's what people want to see. They want to see a gospel that works. They just don't, they don't want to just hear a great message that, that they can't refute. They want to see, does, is your gospel working? It's kind of like going to gay people in gay marriage and telling them, gay marriage is wrong. And then here it is, they're saying, okay, well, how are you heterosexual marriages doing? Are you understanding that? We lose the argument. We, we can present the argument and use the Bible to prove a point, but God wanted to do something greater than just be biblically right. God wanted to show the world his power. When there's a husband and wife after his order that love each other, when there are children that honor their fathers and mothers, and when there are parents that don't provoke their children to wrath and are putting the principles into practice, and when people see that well-ordered, well-disciplined home, I'm telling you the truth. There is nothing that will witness to the power of the gospel. There's nothing that will make our message more effectual than them knowing whatever they're doing, I want it because they have something that I don't have, and it's more than mere words and letters. And my brothers and sisters, if it's your desire to say, Lord, I want you to put these. In other words, if these principles are making sense to you and you're saying, Lord, by your grace, what I have heard and what I've seen today, I am willing to apply in my life so that my home can experience the healing that you want to bring to it. I invite you to stand to your feet with me and I want you to stand to your feet knowing that the God who bids is the God who enables and I want us to do all that we can to spend much time in prayer, much time in study, much time in worship, much time in recreation. And as we watch God work on our behalf, I believe the Lord's going to do mighty things for his name's honor and glory. May we be found faithful. Let us pray together. Our Father in heaven, we are very grateful. We thank you so much for your words. We thank you, Lord, that you have given unto us biblical principles of parenting that can help us to even win the hearts of our beloved children, sometimes our estranged children. And Lord, we're grateful that we can redeem the time. Help us, Lord, to lose no further. Help us to do all that we can, that if we know right, let us do right. Help us to do it in your strength. And may we truly see the salvation of the Lord, even as it relates to our own children. And I am thankful that you have not only heard this prayer, but I trust that you've answered it. For we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, 
a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio, and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.